Hi guys, welcome back to another NFL show. Last week saw one of the most anticipated regular season games we've ever seen. Something that people will be talking about forever, plus Tom Brady breaking records and becoming the fourth quarterback to beat all 32 teams in the NFL. And last Monday night, the Chargers beat the Raiders 28-14 to to improve their record to 3-1 on the year. Our NFL team had a good week going 9-6. They will be recapping all things week 4 and look into week 5 full slate. Thanks for watching and please like and subscribe to our channel. Enjoy the show. NFL Week 5 on the horizon. We're here to take an early look at some edges on the betting board this week. And Scott, we're hitting the quarter pole in the season, more or less. What have been your biggest takeaways of the NFL campaign through the first four weeks? Uh, you know, Matt, the, and I don't know, maybe this happens every year, uh, and I just haven't noticed it, but it just seems like there's a few teams that have kind of flipped their script, if you will, from what we're used to them being from a profile standpoint. Uh, you know, for example, Atlanta has always had a good offense, probably a bad defense. This year, eh, defense is so-so, but the offense, quite frankly, sucks. Um, you've got a team like Tennessee who's always been good offensively. Uh, they're not very good right now. Now they've had some injuries. Maybe that plays into it. Washington's been known for a bad offense, good defense. Chris, you know, hit them in the preseason. Their defense wasn't going to be very good, uh, and it hasn't been. But their offense, surprisingly, has been pretty good. So there's a few teams like that, and I – you know, prior still carry value early in the season because we are only four weeks in, uh, you know, less than a quarter of the way in now with a 17 game schedule. But um, you also have to take note and I think be willing to adjust uh, based on what might be happening this year, which is different from maybe what we thought the team was going to be uh, at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and Chris, I would like to toss it to you on Scott's point about priors. I know last week you touched on metrics starting to take more weight for you within the scope of the 2021 season. So how much can you read into what we've seen again through these first four weeks here? Well, I think it's important to notice to note that a lot of coaches and players look at the season in quarterlies. Uh, obviously there's 17 games now and the second quarter is going to change a little bit depending on what teams, when teams have their bye weeks and such. But uh, obviously everybody has their four games in and uh, this is a stepping stone for when teams evaluate themselves and uh, set their goals for the next quarter. So uh, this is when the metrics start to kick in. Unfortunately, I had a, a, a crummy week, lost a little bit last week, and uh, I'm at the same place I was last year. Uh, basically, uh, I was 15 and 15 after 30 games this year. I'm 16 and or 17 and 16. Uh, and I did. I finished very, very well. And actually, I feel very confident that uh, I will this year. I, I, you look for certain things. You pick up on teams that are doing better or worse than what people's eyes tell them which teams are, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think we'll get more into that notion exactly over the scope of this show. And before we get too deep into it, I'd like to let the audience joining us live on YouTube know that we're Happy to make this a Q&A throughout the show. So if you're watching us on YouTube right now, feel free to jump in that chat. And one more thing before we kick things off, go ahead and sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 and receive a 125% sign-up bonus. For more information on that, you can check out the link below this video. And guys, getting into a review of last week's bets, kind of looking at it through 
not just what happened, but what we can apply moving forward. A bit of a mixed bag for us last week with a couple consensus plays, and we can lead with the bad news, and that would be the Saints teaser that all three of us were on. Scott, it looked golden in the fourth quarter, but didn't end up coming through. What do you take away from that result? First of all, you know, watching these games is maddening. You watch them and you're thinking like, okay, I've got this, this, and this bet. And then you're like, um, okay, these these bets aren't going to win. Uh, and then all of a sudden they do, you know, they, they look better. And then all of a sudden, here go the Saints. You could just see that collapse coming, right? Um, the Saints for me, they're, and they've been so schizophrenic. I have a hard time reading them anyway, but they really have played out vastly different every single week it's I just don't have a good read on them at all I've, I've almost kind of committed to just staying away from them uh, for the long haul until I feel like uh, I have a better sense of what they're going to do yeah Chris we touched on the Saints being a Jekyll and Hyde team through the first three weeks and that certainly continued last week so what do you make of that teaser going down in flames the way it did well it just reminds me why I, I, I generally don't do very many teasers throughout the season in fact I I, I realized uh, late this morning that I hadn't even looked to see if there was a decent teaser this week. So it's not something I gravitate to. And uh, I, I'm disappointed. I really thought that they could have won the game. Uh, uh, the Saints should have. I, I didn't think they would cover. I just thought it would be a close game. And uh, I think it's going to be evident uh, coming forward. Uh, they're going to have to open up uh, uh, Winston because they're they're playing it too tight to the vest and uh, they their plus 5 turnover their plus 5 turnover ratio is only getting them a 2 and 2 record so uh, uh I, I look for some more offense yeah, and I like your point about teasers. I mean, we can uh, just rewind a little bit. Week three was a teaser bonanza, and it was another pretty enticing teaser board this past week. The results didn't hold true quite as well as most betters probably would have hoped. But I recall on our Friday show talking about the Saints, we had already bought in on them as a teaser leg, and that line, as we were recording, had dropped to a flat minus seven. And we talked about the value being diminished a bit at that point because when you're teasing through seven and three, uh, you're buying the same number of points as if you're teasing starting at seven or three. And when you can cross through those key numbers, that can really unlock more of the value. So just something to keep in mind. Sometimes if you're looking at a seven point favorite that you're considering for a teaser, you might just want to lay the seven. Uh, if you tease them, you might want to back off and, and risk a little bit less knowing that you're not teasing through that key number. So I think just another good reminder on the Saints of why teasers can be great. But if we don't pick our spots selectively, they can also backfire, as we saw that one backfire in pretty spectacular fashion. Fortunately, last week, it, it didn't all go poorly. I mean, we were all on the Jets as well, and, and that went pretty much swimmingly from the get-go. Chris, what do you take away from the Jets capturing their first win of 2021? Well, I think it's, you know, we all referenced uh, that their first three games, they had faced some pretty darn good teams and had stood up to them defensively very well. And they... Uh, you know, handled Tennessee okay most of the game. So uh, pretty much kind of what I expected other than the outright win. Yeah, yeah, I was fortunate to sprinkle a little bit on the money line there and see it come through in overtime. Uh, even after Zach Wilson took a sack to go from the one to the five, I thought the Jets might cap it up with a touchdown. But all's well that ends well, as they say. And my big takeaway there was that we talked about the game being a step down in class for the Jets, something much needed after their brutal stretch for the first three weeks. And that held true. I mean, that cover was no fluke. The win got a little bit lucky, but they outgained the Titans on a yards per play basis, 5.9 to 4.6. So certainly a very fair cover, if not also a solid outright win for the Jets last week. 
And Scott, we can use the Jets as a bridge from our bets review to our on the move segment this week because you've got them on the rise. So what has the Jets on such a good upward trajectory in your book right now? Yeah, I've got them on the rise, Matt. And, and maybe it's not so much on the rise where, uh, um, you know, bumping them up a couple points or something from a power rating standpoint, but kind of just confirming what we kind of thought last week. If they don't turn the ball over, they're a decent team. They got seven sacks on Tennessee last week. You know, Tennessee was sacked six times in week one against Arizona. So some of that maybe falls on the Tennessee offensive line a little bit. But the Jets got a pretty strong defensive line. Mentioned it last week. They got a couple guys in the secondary who have played okay. Um, and their offense, uh, for the most part, um, is okay if Wilson's not turning the ball over. They And they got Crowder back last week, and he played a big part of that offense. And very similar to last year, when they've got their quartet of receivers uh, and they don't turn the ball over, they've got a chance to at least be a decent team. Now, I'm not suggesting they're even average necessarily, but against the right opponent, I think they can thrive a little bit and you can find some value in them. Yeah, and I hear you on the Jets not necessarily being a team for everybody to go by right now. Sometimes there's a case of if they just end up being the 25th best team in the league, that could be on the rise relative to their perception after the first three weeks. So I totally hear you there. And I'm going to go in a slightly different direction with my team on the rise this week, and that would be the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, they're the kind of team that was expected to be a juggernaut heading into the season. And it got off to a dicey start in Las Vegas, but they've really turned it on since then. And what really impressed me last week with their win in Denver was the way the offense did it passing. Not so much, you know, with that ground heavy attack, but Lamar Jackson going over 300 yards on that Denver secondary. And also knowing that the Jets have some reinforcements coming back in that passing game with Rashad Bateman and Miles Boykin on track to rejoin the team shortly. One more point on the Ravens from me. They're in for some good home cooking. Guys, they don't play another road game until November 11th. Uh, we're talking about week five. It's week 10 before the Ravens go on the road again. So who's to say how good their record's going to be at that point? That certainly has them on the rise in my book. And Chris, one more team on the rise for you this week, and we're going to hop to the NFC and talk about the New York Giants. Uh, yeah, and, and just one last point on your Baltimore, because they're on the rise for me also. They had to change their entire game because Denver did a really good job of, of stopping Jackson on the run. But I I like the Giants because uh, Jones had to do a lot with substitute players. Uh, he got Galladay involved also, and the offensive line's protecting him a little bit better. That's a big win. The Saints' defense is not garbage. And quietly, the Giants have been pretty decent uh, metrically on offense, and they're showing a little spunk. And is there any other team in, in the NFL that has more of a history of coming, you know, just when you think they're dead? Didn't I crumple up my uh, division win prop uh, last week? So I, it, they're not a significant jump for me, but, but they certainly bottomed out, and, and, and I'm optimistic about them. Yeah, it was really impressive to see their offense generate more than eight yards per play against the Saints on Sunday. Of course, that raises some questions about the Saints defense, but you got to also give credit where it's due with that Giants offense. One of the more surprising units so far, considering their defense was considered a big strength going into the season. And it's really the offense that's been helping them out so far. All right, so what goes up must come down. We've also got some followers to get to this week. And the first one we'll get into will be the Miami Dolphins. And that's my selection for this show because they weren't just beaten. They were throttled by a hobbled Colts team. And, Chris, you talk about being high on the Giants offense. 
Uh, I can't say anything near the same for that Dolphins offense after they got outgained by more than a yard per play. And in terms of time of possession, they couldn't even stay on the field for 23 minutes. They didn't even run 50 plays. So uh, it's, it's not looking too good for the Dolphins at this stage, Chris. Yeah, you know, we knew that there was potential for regression from last season. They had a lot of fortunate bounces with turnovers, and uh, they were just on a roll. But this this year, uh, I had them number 32 coming into last week. So they can't go any lower, and they did even worse. So they're the last team in the, in, in the uh, NFL in offense for me, and they're the sixth worst in defense. I mean, they're bad right now, and, and Fuller got banged up again. Uh, I can't uh, support this team in any way right now. Yeah, it was a, a pretty dicey go of it on Sunday for the Dolphins after they came back and it at least covered against the Raiders. It looked pretty encouraging, but a bit of a 180 this past Sunday. So mm-hmm. on that note, I think we can move on to our next team that's on the decline. Uh, and for that, let's pull up that graphic, please. We can talk about a, a team on the decline in the Carolina Panthers. Chris, this was your selection for the week. Um, I'm sorry. I got I got uh, out of place. Sure. Carol- <laughs> um, Carolina just is not the same team without McCaffrey, and I, I noticed it last year because I was making money with him when McCaffrey was in the lineup, and this year, as soon as he leaves the lineup, they they just are not the same team. I don't know what it is about that guy. There's a chemistry issue, uh, but. You know, the good thing is Rule's not one of these overnight turn a team around type of guys. He's going to build this program up. So, I, you know, again, it's it's just one of these things where I'm not as optimistic about them. It's not like they're going through the floorboards or not. But I think that they're going to struggle without McCaffrey. And the, they, they, they could end the season very well, but I think they're going to go into a little slump here. Yeah, and I've got a follow-up question for you on the Panthers because you mentioned their offense taking a hit without McCaffrey. I heard a lot of people who I consider to be quite sharp saying the J.C. Horn injury might be a bigger blow to their defense than McCaffrey was to that offense. And we talked about last week the Panthers' defense getting off to such a hot start, really manhandling the competition that it had been given for the first three weeks. The Cowboys just erupted on them, putting up 7.7 yards per play, I believe. And really, that game wasn't as close as the eight-point margin of victory for Dallas would have indicated. So, Chris, what did you make of the Panthers not only missing McCaffrey on offense, but that defensive showing with a pretty big step up in class to Dallas this past Sunday? Just how real is that Carolina D? Well, you know, it's tough to fade those injuries, but, uh, you know, Dallas is firing on all cylinders. You can't sit there and say Carolina's garbage. The Dallas's metrics right now are really strong, and they've played a top 10 set of offenses across the board. So um, it's no embarrassment to, to, to lose when you're missing McCaffrey and you're dinged up on defense and you've got some holes. So... It, you know, I, how it comes together, I don't know exactly, but uh, it, I bet Carolina, I'm not embarrassed I bet Carolina last week, uh, Dallas play is playing very well. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Scott, we can move on to your team that's on the move in a downward direction, and don't kick them when they're down, everybody, the Houston <laughs> Texans. Yeah, can it get any worse for Houston? Uh, yes, it can. Uh, <laughs> with Davis Mills in there, you know, he's got an interception rate right now of seven and a half percent. You know, I think league average is somewhere in the two and a half to three percent. Kind of tells you how bad that's been. 
uh, 4.1 yards per pass. He's been sacked almost 11% of the time. And we know Buffalo was a tough opponent. Uh, you know, Carolina was no easy uh, opponent either. And now they're going to get New England this week. Uh, and my God, we saw, you know, what New England did to Tom Brady. They made life very, very difficult for Tom Brady. They made life very, very difficult for Zach Wilson, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Davis Mills, he's going to struggle in this one. And, you know, yes, there might be some opponents. And as he grows, maybe he gets a little bit better before Taylor maybe comes back. But um, they've gotten drastically worse than I think we could have even imagined with him at quarterback. Yeah, and Scott, you touched on the matchup with the Patriots on deck for the Texans. And at some books, we still have some Houston plus eight and a half out there, a lot of nines. And on the flip side with New England, eight and a half puts them squarely in teaser territory, even nines. If somebody can get a fair price on a six and a half point teaser, that makes New England pretty enticing. So uh, nothing in the way of an official pick to make on today's show. But if, if you see any Patriots minus eight and a half or Patriots minus nines out there, is that the direction you're looking for this game as well? I know it's got quite a low total. It's it's a good point, Matt. I didn't even think about that, actually, to be honest with you. But you're exactly right. This kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, when they played the Jets, the, you, you just know what you're going to get from the Patriots team, at least defensively, I think, uh, against these types of opponents. And um, and they should be able to do enough in offense. I mean, Mac Jones is pretty good. Obviously, we'll get into more of this on Friday, but I think this could be a very attractive teaser if you can get the right price. Yeah. All right. Well, something to put a pin in for the audience over the next few days. And on that note, we've already talked about one week four game. Let's move on to talk more week four lines. We can get into a few games that are standing out to us at this stage pretty early in the week as we bring up that full screen graphic showing the full slate for, uh, excuse me, these are week five lines. I stand corrected. Scott, you wanted to touch on the Arizona-San Francisco line. Yeah, it's uh, that line, the look-ahead line before Sunday's games was Arizona minus two and a half. They go into the Rams. They obviously beat them very well, uh, play very well there. Uh, San Francisco loses at home. And that line's now up to, well, it looks like six here, actually. So we've seen a dramatic jump. Now, some of that maybe is because, um, you know, maybe Garoppolo doesn't play. So that probably feeds into that a little bit as well. Um, and, you know, maybe they have to play Trey Lance, who, you know, looked a little lost. Uh, on Sunday, but it also was a reflection of what Arizona did with the Rams. And, uh, you know, the question becomes, is that just too much of a bounce up? Uh, quite frankly, um, you know, a little bit too much recent bias here. And, uh, I'm not sure they should be favored by that much potentially. Um, but I think it's a reflection both of the quarterback potentially, which if you think grapple is going to play, then, you know, that's a decent number. And also obviously what happened on Sunday. You know, San Francisco gets the perfect bye week. Uh, they they go uh, they get their bye week next week, and and there isn't a team that could use it more than San Francisco right now. So, perfect timing for them. Good yeah, point. and and one more point to follow up on Scott to the breakdown you just gave. Weaving in a question from the live chat, uh, we have Jordan asking how we approach games that almost appear too easy to bet that feel like traps. Do you ignore these situations and let the metrics prevail? I feel like a lot of betters out there and just football fans in general have been blown away by the Cardinals start to the season. So yeah, I mean, maybe you see their start and you see the Niners working with a backup quarterback. Uh, how would you evaluate this one or just trap games in general when it comes to the metrics versus a lot of the other chatter out there? Uh, I think you let metrics kind of play out and you, you try to reason, you know, I mean, Arizona, is a pretty good team, and we're seeing that they made some, you know, improvements over the year, uh, over the off season. 
the, the question becomes, you know, Kyle Murray, he kind of broke down at the end of last year. And so I think for Arizona, it's more of a function. Uh, and he's obviously maturing and he's seen things easier and better and, and more clear, uh, which is being reflected in his play. For Arizona, I think it's more of him just staying on top of his game and not getting beat down like he did last year. If he can do that, the sky's the limit for this team. Uh, they're they're playing well, and I think you know Kingsbury. I've been always haven't always thought he's a great coach, but uh, he's coaching well. But I do think you have to have metrics. I, the metrics, you know, they play out. You you got to let them play out. Numbers are numbers. Um, you try to read into some things. You know, is the team going to let down or not? But that's a very hard thing to the forecast as well. So numbers are numbers for me for the most part. I think it's really important that if you think that there's a trap game or something that looks out of whack, do your homework because you haven't done enough. I mean, by the time a week is done, you should have a pretty good case to argue either side of a game in a pinch. And if you can't, then you're missing something. And what that something is, I don't necessarily know. Yeah, Chris, I love that insight. And one more thing on this game. Again, we'll get to the full breakdown on Friday, but this can be a broader point through the lens of this game for now. Scott mentioned numbers are numbers. And one of the numbers he mentioned was that the look ahead line was Cardinals by two and a half, now up to five and a half or six at some shops, such as Bet US. What do you make of look ahead lines in general and how that could inform your approach to a game like this? Well, for me, look, I don't even look at look ahead lines because. And I don't understand why some people use it in their metrics. Uh, you'll see people on uh, that use the look-ahead line as a significant part of their handicap. Well, in my opinion, that's flawed because that line was never any good. I, I can't bet a look-ahead line even at Circa right now. Even on a Friday, I can't bet next week's game. So what good is that line? It's not an efficient market. It's very low limits. You, you can only bet those numbers at select places. And if anything, you might have people trying to bet the other side to boost uh, up the lines for the following week. So I, I think look ahead lines are, are kind of a neat reference, like a ballpark. But you should be able to do that ballpark in your head anyway. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I totally get Scott bringing it up in this case. And Scott, if you want to add anything, I'll let you jump back in here. I, I tend to look at it for the extremes. If a game moves half a point or a point, not a big deal. But when it moves three points through the key number of three, then that at least starts to grab my attention a little bit. Scott, how do you look at it? I, I think Chris makes good points. It's an, it's, it's not an efficient market, like you said. Um, you know, you, you can't bet a whole lot on those games. Um, but I think you, you know, if it goes from, you have to assume the line is somewhat in the right neighborhood. I mean, the books putting it out there now, whether they're right or not, and the market really hasn't had a chance to bet it into place. That's a hundred percent accurate. But I think if it goes from two and a half to five and a half or six in this case, you just ask the question: Is it justified or not? And and you just kind of answer those questions in your head and from what you know, metric wise and whatnot. And you can make, as I said earlier, okay, Arizona's playing better. Um, obviously there's been a quarterback injury here that can play into this. You just try to work through those things. And if they make sense and, and if, you know, look, if I thought Arizona, um, should have been a four and a half point favorite, uh, on the look ahead line and they were two and a half. Okay. Well then it's really only a point, point and a half jump. And it's not even as dramatic as what the look ahead line was. Cause I had it marked differently. So I look at it and I just try to answer some questions around it and see if there's anything, any insight in anything you can take from it, uh, to give you an advantage going into the next week, I just look at it. They, it was in, it was incomplete data. I mean, you, you, you're 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 basing something on 
one full game not being into the equation. So if it, it makes it irrelevant, you've added, you know, in this case, 25% extra data into a, into a line. So what good was it? You know, plus yeah. you factor in an injury with Garoppolo and uh, rookie quarterback starting. Yeah, I think some good food for thought there as far as look ahead lines go. Also, the the shrap game notion. Thanks for the question, Jordan. Uh, and on that end, I think we can move on to some other early lines that are catching our attention for week five. And if we can pull up that full screen graphic again, showing the full slate. Chris, the marquee matchup AFC championship game rematch, possibly a 2021 AFC championship game preview as well, the way these teams have started. The Bills heading to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Kansas City currently laying three at even money at BetUS. What stands out to you about this line so far, Chris? I, I just think it's an interesting line. I'll, I'll be, I'm pretty confident that, uh, that this is the highest you'll see the line. And uh, I think it's... Uh, I think it's a, another example of a team living off of reputation and fear. Uh, people are afraid to bet Kansas City because their offense is so good. Uh, well, you know, Buffalo's got a great offense also, and the difference is Buffalo's got the number one defense and Kansas City has the number 29 defense. So uh, I'm, I'm a little perplexed at uh, why Kansas City uh, is, is thought of so highly all the time, but uh, uh, they've covered two games out of 16 games, and uh, they very well might not have been able to, they, they, you know, if things have gone slightly different, they wouldn't have covered against Philadelphia last week. Philadelphia was missing their their whole offensive line, and Philadelphia was able to move the ball on them. Yeah, I'll I'll push back just a bit there with the Chiefs. And again, if I'm pushing back against a pro better, then I'm probably the underdog here, so I'll keep it quick. But I recall, again, betting the Chiefs. We talk about that streak of struggling to cover games going back to last year. In New Orleans, the Chiefs had a commanding lead and, and kind of let off the gas and ended up pushing on the minus three. They also had a big lead in Miami, and the Dolphins snuck in the back door at the end. So just like last week, you could argue in Philly that game could have gone either way. I think there were a lot of Chiefs games they didn't cover that they very easily could have. And if we can see them get their turnovers in line, uh, I think there's a big talent gap between them and a lot of the league. Not necessarily the Bills, though. That's looking like a fascinating matchup. And another team, Chris, with a high reputation that it looks like uh, in the note you're trying to move the line on, the Green Bay Packers this week, laying, I believe it's three, taking on Cincinnati. I dare them to move that line a half a point either way, because I, uh, I think that line should sit there. Because I think uh, the bookmakers will get action uh, either direction. Uh, that's pretty much the uh, the only comment that I have. I think people will come in and and, and take Green Bay minus two and a half. And if they put it to three and a half, I think Cincinnati is going to get support. Gotcha. Hey, well, let's. Oh, go hey, ahead, Matt, Scott. can I just make a comment on that? They did move it. I mean, I don't know if it was widely available, but it was certainly three and a half yesterday. That's for sure. Yeah, it was, and it uh, it came down pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah, well, let's touch on one more game on the board for Week 5 right now. The Chargers, after a, an impressive showing on Monday Night Football, I should have known that, Chris, with our Raiders bets, as soon as we had a lightning delay for the Chargers game and saw the team with the lightning bolt on its uniform come out and dominate, it almost felt like it was preordained in some way. Um, while the Chargers looked impressive, I was surprised to see the favorite flip again, just a soft look ahead on Cleveland being a one-point favorite. Uh, but now with the Chargers favored by one and laying extra big on that minus one at BetUS, what do you make of that number with the Browns heading to L.A. to take on the Chargers? Well, you know, the look ahead line on this game was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be really interested to see where this line moves because uh 
coming off this Monday night football, all we've seen all all morning is uh, her Herbert this, Herbert that, and and they looked pretty darn good last night. And uh, Cleveland didn't look that good last week. And uh, there's starting to be a little clinks in the arm, chinks in the armor over there in Cleveland. So. Uh, I, I can see this line go either way, and I just think it's one of the more interesting lines to keep an eye on. I don't think we'll ever see three on it, and uh, I think it's just going to be somewhere in that range. I don't think we'll see Cleveland become the favorite either. So it should, you don't see too many lines that just stay right there the whole week. Yeah, well, to that end, some lines might stay in place the whole week, but we could see plenty of movement between now and the time we record on Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And Chris, let's get into, I think, a lot of listeners and viewers' favorite segment of the show, your rapid-fire line movement prediction for week five. Well, I think the uh, the Rams are going to hit a three, a week three, and that'll be the ceiling for that game. The Atlanta game cannot go any higher. That could only go lower, I would think. Tampa Bay sitting around 10 is all based on a lot of injury news. Tampa lost three cornerbacks, and um, uh, both teams are having injury issues there. So uh, Carolina 4 seems pretty stable. Uh, I don't see any big movement there. Tennessee is probably bottomed out. Uh, it was much higher, and uh, that might bounce back up. Uh, Minnesota, you know, I think seven's the bottom on that one. Detroit's got some real problems. They've lost their center, both starting cornerbacks, and the spirits are just, uh, I spoke of the high spirits last week. Uh, the spirits are a little bit more uh, reserved now. Uh, Campbell admitting he can't put all these young kids in there. So, uh, but I think seven's the bottom on that one. Uh, Pittsburgh line met resistance at 1.5. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see that again. Uh, Green Bay minus three. That's a tough call. Uh, we just spoke about that one. Uh, New England might bounce to 10. Uh, I, I, I don't think anybody has any confidence in Houston. Uh, uh, the Chargers won't see three. Dallas seven seems pretty solid. Uh, I think Arizona does go up to six. I'm not sure what it does from there. Kansas City, we spoke about that one. And, uh, well, I didn't say I didn't predict anything on that one. I, I'm not sure where that goes. I think it should come off the three at some point. Uh, I think it goes down, but I could be wrong on that. And Baltimore at seven looks like a pretty solid number. So not a, it won't be a wild and wacky uh, line movement week, I don't think. Yeah, well, this is the perfect time to toss it over to Scott because a big factor that could affect some of these lines, Chris touched on a couple games with injury news. Scott, what injuries do you see potentially affecting these lines over the next few days? Yeah, Chris hit a couple of them. Uh, just looking here, Tampa Bay, as, as Chris said, they got hit in their secondary pretty bad last week. Lost Carlton Davis, uh, Antoine Winfield. Uh, I think it was a concussion. I'm not, I might be wrong in that, but he left that game. We already know they were a little bit. Jamal Dean was already out going in that day, game. They lost Sean Murphy Bunting in the secondary. Uh, I think that was week one. So they're pretty decimated in the secondary. That bears watching. Uh, Denver, we know Teddy Bridgewater, the concussion. Uh, so we'll see what comes from that. San Francisco, we talked about Garoppolo. The left tackle, Trent Williams, uh, had a shoulder injury. Uh, I was listening to someone yesterday said the fact that he did not come back in for that game with a shoulder injury does not bear well. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Will Fuller from Miami and their quarterback, Byron Jones, one of their better, better quarterbacks, is dinged up. Dallas, one of their better quarterbacks, uh, corner, cornerbacks, Diggs, uh, left that game. Chris hit on all the problems for Detroit. They also lost 
uh, their edge rusher, Romeo Aguera, who's a very, very good edge rusher for them. Uh, and remember, they're already playing without uh, uh, Taylor Decker, their left tackle as well. Uh, Montgomery, the running back for the Bears, is out. And the Packers, uh, Jer Alexander uh, went out. We'll see what comes from that. You know, Green Bay, they've got five or six elite players. You got Aaron Rodgers, who's obviously playing. Devontae Adams playing. Aaron Jones playing. That's great. Left tackle, David Bakhtiari. He's been out for a while. Their edge rusher, Zadarius Smith, he might be out for the year. Now their cornerback, uh, Jer Alexander, uh, could be out. That's pretty detrimental to Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, that, that might make a big impact on the Packers secondary. And before we move on to another big game affecting two NFC heavyweights, Chris, I'd like to circle back to uh, one of the lines that might move based on some quarterback news we get this week. Uh, that would be the Broncos and the Steelers. Uh, Birdie had noted in the chat that with Roethlisberger being banged up and, and maybe with his hip potentially not playing, um, depending on quarterback news that we get really for either side with Bridgewater also having been concussed against Baltimore last week, uh, what do you think it could take to move this line too much off of that juicy Pittsburgh minus one? You know, I'm not so sure that the market is going to, I think the market is already devaluing Ben quite a bit at this point. Uh, uh, I saw an outrageous stat of how few passes he's throwing over 10 yards. Uh, I mean, it's really low and embarrassing. Uh, I, I think it's, I think much of the downgrade is already in and you'd be surprised uh, that maybe there would be no change in the line if he's out. I mean, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I think in a lot of people's minds, they'll let the line move up and then buy the Denver any uh, any way to hide at a better price, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly a big storyline to follow with uh, two dicey quarterback situations with Denver traveling to Pittsburgh. And we've got two much more solid quarterback situations in the Thursday night game this week. So let's get to our Thursday night football preview. The Rams traveling to NFC West rival Seattle. Currently, the line at BetUS has the Rams favored by two at minus 115, total at 54 and a half. And Chris, you're on a side in this one. Uh, yeah, I, I favor the Rams in this game. Uh, I, I like the situation because it's, you know, it, their, their loss was very excusable. Uh, it, was a, it was a letdown spot after their big game against Tampa Bay. And uh, they're still doing things uh, pretty darn well. And this Seattle, uh, they were essentially gifted this game against San Francisco. Uh, they did everything. They, you know, San Francisco lost their field goal kicker in pregame warm-ups. They missed at least two kicks that I saw uh, early in the game. And uh, uh, Seattle is very fortunate. The, the, the game flow just changed and just didn't work. And you had the starting quarterback go out and, and you know, you've got the rookie in. Just went Seattle's way for them to come from behind and win. Uh, Seattle doesn't show up on my metrics very well at all. They're, they're not doing a lot of things well. And as I heard on, on TV this morning, uh, Colin says, what else does what else can you say good about Seattle except uh, Russell Wilson? Nothing. So uh, I, I think in a, in a short spot like this under three, I, I like the Rams to win. Yeah, and when it comes to, you mentioned this being a short number, and I'll circle back, not to a look-ahead line, but the opener. This came uh, on the board at Pick'em at a lot of places. 
So now with it up to a juicy minus two on the Rams, I mean, you still like them, but is it a reduced wager amount or, or how do you reconcile uh, the number now versus what it could have been had for when these games first hit the board? Well, you know, anything less than a three is pretty much the same. You know, you can't uh, you can't get picky about a two. Uh, you know, ones and twos don't land as often as you might think. Yeah. All right. So we've got Chris uh, locked in on the Rams in this one. And Scott, no side for you, but you have a lean when it comes to the total. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I think we should get some thumbs up for Chris's haircut. It's a great haircut this week, by the way, too. So, uh, but uh, yes, I do. Uh, I lean to the over here. I made the number about 55 and a half. So not a ton of value. It's a very high total just to start with. But both those teams above average throwing the ball, both these teams below average defending the pass. That does open the door for some big plays down the field. Obviously, we've got two good, very good quarterbacks that can move the ball down the field. And both these teams, when you look at their success rate versus the opponents they played, they're both in the top 10 offensively, but also in the bottom 10 defensively. So, you know, all that adds up to, I think, a potential for a pretty high scoring game. Uh, I don't think weather's an issue. I haven't really checked that. So that's always something you want to watch, especially in Seattle. But um, it's just a little too high of a total to to go over for me, but I do show my numbers having a little bit of value to the over. Yeah, and I'll, oh, go I ahead, Chris. Seattle in the top fifteen, either offensively or defensively, to be honest. So, uh, and and the Rams, as you mentioned, uh, they're they're middle of the road defense right now for me. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not so much speaking offensively and defensively as a whole but right. more so from the passing game because that will, you know, obviously lead to points faster, obviously. So, and you're right. I mean, from a success uh, standpoint, a success rate, I've got Seattle's offense a little bit below average passing-wise success rate, but the Rams are below average for me in that, enough to offset that and give a little bit of advantage to Seattle throwing the ball, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll go ahead. Hearing what both of you have had to say, uh, it, it gives me uh, pretty much the conviction I have right now in a lean to go ahead and just lean Seattle's way on a teaser. Typically seeing an underdog in their range, being able to cross up through three and seven looks awfully enticing. Uh, but I also think having paid some pretty close attention to the NFC West games last weekend, it really struck me that Seattle ran hot and the Rams ran quite cold. And three metrics to back that up that I think can be very impactful in any given game but not necessarily predictive moving forward would be turnovers, third down efficiency, and red zone efficiency. And if we look at Seattle last week, Chris, you kind of touched on it. I mean, they won by a touchdown, but they were outgained by two yards per play. And that seems like it should almost never happen. And here's how it does. You go plus two in turnovers. You hold the opposing offense to two for 14 on third down. That's just 14% for the Niners last Sunday against the Seahawks. And then when Seattle got the ball in the red zone, four for four scoring touchdowns. On the whole other end of the spectrum, we've got the Rams. They went minus two in turnovers last Sunday. Uh, Their third down defense allowed Arizona to go eight for 13. That's 62%, so quite a difference there with those defenses' abilities to get off the field on third down. And then in the red zone for the Rams, I mean, the shining example would be them getting the ball to the Cardinals' one-yard line on a drive, having a couple of cracks to score from there and not being able to do it. So I, I do look for some positive regression for the Rams this week, perhaps some negative week over week regression for Seattle. And also Scott with this high total and you leaning over even at that, uh, I, I can only make it a lean to Seattle despite the enticing number. I think that Sean McVay has had a really good ability to match up with Pete Carroll over the years. So I'll go ahead and lean Seattle's way in a teaser. On that note, let's bring up our official graphics with the Thursday night plays for this week. It's Chris with his bet 
on the Rams. I'm, again, going to go ahead and pass this one, just leaning Seattle's way in a teaser for now. And we've got Scott with his lean to the over on Thursday night. That about does it for us today. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Don't forget to sign up at BetUS and use the promo code NFL2021 for a 125% sign-up bonus. And that pretty much wraps it up. We'll be back with you on Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, to break down the full weekend board. So we'll see you then right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.